pull up a seat right next to this roaring fire we have here at Snap Judgment's Campfire Tales, the primal episode. It was a long time ago, pre-snap, but I squeezed into a plane next to some guy who's as big as I am. Tight quarters. We'll get to talking and he's super cool. After returning to the bay, one barbecue leads to another. Pretty soon, we're pals. Then one night in, he introduces me to his buddy, Stuart. And they start telling me about a trip they went on, an Indonesian mountain trek. We're sitting around a fire, just like this one. And I see them eyeing each other. What? What's going on? Finally, Ian says, Do you want to tell him? And Stuart says, I guess we should. After about six hours of hiking, we were singing a song or whatever you do to keep yourself sort of putting one foot in front of the other. But we heard this sort of like, we kind of stopped. We're sort of armchair naturalists as well. That might be a uh, yellow-bellied, you know, knuckle cracker. And then we'd hear, and we kept walking towards it and got closer and closer. And we were like, that's not a bird. That's a person. And we kind of bushwhack, you know, about 10 yards off the trail. And there's a man, an Indonesian man, lying in his tiny, tiny, like, bikini underpants in, a, in his tent, which has collapsed. And he's got... Um, Sprite. Well, he's got a Sprite he's trying to open, like, but he can't open it. He's got cutlery and all sorts of crystal wear. You know, on the edge of sort of like a, a pretty steep drop-off. You know, he was, he, was, he, was, he was hypothermic. Yeah, he was lying there, shivering, making no sense, trying to open his Sprite with like a piece of wood. So Ian just took him, and he just hugged him. Just hugged the life into this guy, a total stranger. When, when you hugged him... Did he try to get away? No, no. He was, uh, was kind of like a big kid. He was sort of like having a baby. So after we've realized he's coming too, we try to carry him down this horrible trail of giant steps. And we each put him on our back and we tried and we'd make it about 100 yards. And I think when Stuart was carrying him, uh, he peed all over Stuart as well. <laughs> and uh, so we decided to split up and that I would uh, hike to town. So I walk like three or four hours. I actually run into some farmers on the outskirts of town, and I say in my budding Indonesian, Man, mountain, dying, help us. And so they sort of tie their ox into a tree. Ten minutes later appears the biggest Indonesian man we've ever seen. He's got big muscles. He's huge. We met up the rescue party. It was so exciting. They called, And I remember the, the, the rescue party was pretty upset they thought they were going to save an american you know what i mean they were all like <laughs> picturing international headlines and when they found out that it was just some indonesian guy you know like they were like ready to leave him there you know and you just kind of like look at we're taking him and then they you know sort of took him running him back on their shoulders or whatever well the indonesians wanted to know what this yahoo was doing on the mountain so in speaking with the, the, the host family, they were using a word we couldn't understand. 
we agreed on the word was magic. He was on that mountain looking for magic. What do you mean he went to find magic? He was like a city slicker who had come up to the country to go find magic. So we discussed magic with our host family. They said, you might want to go see a man who lives down the road called the Tuki Man. Who's the Tuki Man? Uh, And they said, well, he's a magic man. And they all said, and he can take you to see the tigers. And we thought, that sounds great. We strap on our backpacks, we get on these two mopeds, and off we go to a town called Kibun Baru and arrive at this really sort of terrifying-looking ramshackle house that was the Tuki Man's house. And out walks a four-and-a-half-foot-tall man with the most bizarre haircut you've ever seen. He's got two like balls of hair on his head, sort of like where antlers would go in a deer, but they're just two circles. He's kind of got this impish little smile, and he was very, very, very cool and invited us into his house. Tuki Man and Stuart are, are talking. It was dark, and there were two candles burning, and all of a sudden, some guy comes in. 14-year-old boy just sort of staggered in the room and fell down at the foot of the bed. And I'm peering over the edge, and and the the kid at the foot of the bed is starting to get a little agitated and starting to move around and moan and uh, as though he's, you know, got a fever or something. And I look over, and I don't think too much of it, and I don't want to break the conversation. And then, you know, things are he's really thrashing around down there. And I say to Stu, I look at him like, man, there's a guy down here. He's not doing very well. Stuart's like, shh, you know, I have an important discussion with the Tuki Man. And now the kid is flopping around like a tuna after it's been brought out of the ocean. He's like, you know, flapping around. And I'm like, Stu, as this guy is thrashing around, a bunch of kids run in to see what's going on. And the kids are screaming. They're terrified. And the Tuki Man just kind of moves in and takes over. Stu and I move out of the way. And he grabs the guy's hand, and he starts speaking to him in another language. And the women bring in a glass of water with flowers in it. And the Tuki man just takes a glass of water with flowers in it and sort of holds his head, and the kid greedily gulps the, the glass of water down with the flowers, flowers and all. And then he kind of calms down, and we thought, oh, great, you know, obviously he's okay, but we're not really sure what we're witnessing. And then the kid jumps up in some kind of like super ninja pose in the middle of the living room and does like some serious Bruce Lee. He's doing these kicks, karate chops. And right then the wind starts blowing really bad. And the tin roof on the place is like And I started running for the door. And the only thing that kept me there was Stuart. He grabbed me by the sleeve and he said, just wait, it's gonna be okay. The Tuki Man knows what he's doing. And so wait, I, wait, 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 slow down. Stuart, what, what? Did this happen? That happened. The karate that he started doing or whatever martial art, or what, you know, it was, it was controlled and disciplined and, you know, not something that just anybody would do if we were flanneling around like pretending to do capoeira or something like that. At, at that point, I remember feeling like um, whatever was trying to happen... I might have uh, been able to help, you know, if I were to just open up, you know, and so I, 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 I kind of did. I guess I just um, sort of, I let it through me. 
And it was about at that point where, where the convulsions transformed, you know, almost as if the Tookie Man needed, like, uh, everybody there to be um, channeling, you know, if you believe in that stuff or whatever. I don't really know how I stand on it, but that's, that's how I felt at that moment. And that's when he did come back. Well, later on, uh, what Tookie Man told us was that that was his father who had come back through that boy. And you can take that for what it is, but that's what we saw, and it, it did seem to make a certain sense. And there was a, a power, um, the wind and the, and the smells and the water. I remember he was very, very thirsty, and that's, that's what they ended up telling us, that that was, that was why the father came back. You know, he had some things to say, but he was thirsty. Stuart. Yeah. Let's cut this stuff. Do you think that the Tukey man's father came back through that boy and drank that water? I, I, I do. Being a scientist, I necessarily have to amend that by saying there's a lot of possibilities out there. But the boy had a transformation. We saw and we felt. It wasn't just that you saw, if you just saw it, but it's that you could feel it. You know, what did it feel like, and what 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 about this 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 pounding on the roof, this electricity in the air? It felt like the Tukey Man was really in control. But then there came a point, and I felt like I let the the whole thing go through me, and I was continuing to let it go through me. And this is where I got scared to the core. You're wondering, if you are letting something channel through you, maybe you lose yourself. You know, maybe it's going to take you, you know, if you're that opened up. And at that point, I shut off. And at that point, the karate master lay back down. And that's something I look back on, and I, I don't know if I... I, I regret it or, or not. You know, maybe you just have to know when to say, like, well, what's fun is fun, but I'm not going to lose my soul or whatever. And, and I just, on a real deep level, I just, I just closed off and it stopped. You know, that's where you really see you can, you can go as deep as you want to go. You know, it's there and you can touch it and you can be part of it, you know, and it's all, you know, how, how far down the, you know, rabbit hole are you, are you willing to go, I guess. So that's the part that scared me, you know, and, and you look at yourself in like a real profoundest of ways. And, uh, you know, you say, was I a coward at that moment or was I, I don't know, but I, I, I know what went through me and, uh, and I know what I felt more than I know what I saw. How far are you willing to go? Don't chicken out. On the Snap Judgment Campfire Tales Primal episode, thank you, Ian Fraser and Stuart. Open up, but don't open up too much. Original score was by Davey Kim. The piece was produced by the Uber producer himself, Mark Ristich. <laughs>